Welcome to the 10th episode of the Cornell Policy Review Podcast. My name is Agosa Asimota, and I am the Senior Content Editor at The Review. This podcast will explore a variety of policy issues through interviews with figures from around the world. In this episode, I got a chance to sit down with Christian Paulier, a senior member of Amazon Watch, to discuss the impact of mega dam building policies on the Amazon basin and the work that Amazon Watch is doing to advocate for and protect the vulnerable people who live there. We hope you enjoy. Christian, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I'm excited to learn more about you and the work that you do. So we are living in an explosive era of infrastructure expansion where wild places have been significantly carved up and corroded by decades of mega projects. In Brazil, for example, where most of the Amazon is contained, we've seen a hydropower construction boom over the year that has inundated large areas of rainforest, namely the Bela Monte Dam. Earlier this year, the Brazilian government, however, announced an end to their mega dam building policy. Um, and staunch resistance from environmental and indigenous rights groups like Amazon Watch have played a major role in that decision. So just to start the conversation, can you tell me more about Amazon Watch? What is the mission and what exactly is the goal? Uh, to support indigenous rights movements, the movements of indigenous peoples to defend their territories, their way of life, often against some of the most destructive projects on the planet, uh, you mentioned Belomonchi in Brazil. That's one uh, real flashpoint when it comes to poor energy planning, um, destructive development projects. But then we also work in the Western Amazon on questions of uh, fossil fuel extraction, which pollute uh, rivers, river basins, uh, destroy indigenous communities have for decades. And we're supporting our indigenous partners on the ground to resist the ongoing extraction of uh, oil from their territories um, and also to demand uh, remediation for past uh, contamination. For example, calling companies like Chevron to to task um, for the uh, huge environmental footprint they left, for example, in the north of Ecuador. Uh, so we have, we work on essentially extractive industry um, and large infrastructure projects. Um, not only with indigenous organizations, but also with a whole coalition of um, in-country organizations, the countries where we work, um, NGOs, social movements, but also with uh, nonprofits, uh, academics, political leaders, uh, celebrities uh, from all over the world to raise uh, awareness about the importance of the Amazon rainforest to our global climate, the importance of indigenous peoples on human rights level, but also because it's incredibly important that we, we support the work of indigenous peoples to preserve their territories in the Amazon, which are some of the best preserved forests. Um, and in doing so, we're really helping ourselves to continue living on this planet um, and not in a climate catastrophe, which we see coming. The Amazon is incredibly important in this regard to regulating the global climate. Um, and therefore, um, our work is, is you know, linked to uh, social, uh, environmental responsibility, corporate responsibility, governmental responsibility, uh, and really trying to be part of a change we'd like to see uh, our world, uh, our, our societies adapt to, uh, which is uh, really ad adopting a new form of development that is uh, much more in line with uh, indigenous 
uh, practice. Um, they have a lot to teach us about how to live in balance. So that's a kind of a quick rundown of Amazon Watch's work. Great, thank you. And for our listeners, our listeners who may not be familiar with damming, can you explain what dams are, what they do, and what are their environmental and social costs to indigenous peoples living in the Amazon? Sure. Um, dams are engineering projects. Uh, they're built typically across rivers. I'm talking about large concrete walls on various scales, from small dams to mega dams. We are referring to Belomolchi as one of the more notorious mega dams on this planet. Um, and they're built to hold back rivers, or sometimes to redirect rivers uh, into reservoirs that, where the water can be harnessed to generate electricity or also to be used for irrigation projects. Um, there, there's been tens of thousands of dams built around the world uh, since the 19th century. Um, Brazil is one of the largest dam building countries. So considering the magnitude and the scope of dam projects, what exactly are the environmental and social costs of it? Large dams, well, particularly large dams in the Amazon have real manifold impacts. Um, these include massive direct and indirect deforestation, which is to say the dam's construction leads to massive deforestation, but also there is significant sometimes significantly more deforestation that results as the dam um, results from the construction of the dam that is not uh, directly related to its construction. And this is very true when it comes to Belomochi. Um, the dams result in displacement of rural and urban communities, uh, including indigenous peoples and traditional peoples who rely on the rivers and their sustenance uh, to, for their way of life. Um, dams result in massive biodiversity loss, both terrestrial and aquatic biodiversity. Um, this can also lead to fishery collapse, where we've seen in the Amazon uh, the loss of fish species, the loss of fish, uh, fish stock, with subsequent um, collapse of food security um, for local communities, not to, not to mention economic activities of state fisher folk who rely on the river for their, for their um, economic benefit. Um, the construction is therefore hugely disruptive to local communities, um, both its, the construction process and as a result of the influx of um, migrants who come to work on these projects, many of whom do not find work and fan out into forests, leading to uh, the deforestation I, I cited earlier, and a spate of other uh, social problems. Um, not to mention the influx of migrants into urban centers can lead to the collapse of social services. For example, healthcare, education, or sanitation, and other major social issues like crime, uh, drug use, etc. Um, and this played out time and time again with this boom and bust economy that dams mm. create in urban centers um, that are adjacent to their construction. Um, these also dams also have an enormous climate footprint. They're often seen as clean energy, which they are not, especially in tropical forests where. One, they lead to deforestation, which of course has a very serious climate impact. But two, it's been demonstrated that dams generate an enormous amount of methane, which is a greenhouse gas that is between 35 and 80 times more potent than CO2 in our environment, trapping heat in our environment. And dams create methane by flooding forests, 
or um, flooding vegetation. Um, repeatedly, as, as, dams, uh, as rivers rise and fall, as reservoirs rise and fall, um, and re constantly release methane uh, for a very long period uh, and essentially offset any of the climate benefits that this so-called clean energy creates. Finally, dams have, an, have a huge financial toll. They're extremely expensive um, and simply cannot compensate uh, in terms of the energy for what they cost the society to be built. Great. Thank you so much for that overview. So going back to the question about, you know, the context and the discourse that surrounds the decision to go about creating a dam, what narratives and beliefs do you think inform the decision to intentionally exclude vulnerable people like indigenous peoples who will be affected by these projects? Well, traditionally, the Western mindset um, in the Amazon is to extract as much wealth as possible, as quickly as possible, and leave behind uh, the consequences uh, of, of this wealth extraction uh, for local peoples to, to deal with. Um, and this is, dam building is no exception in this regard. It's often framed as a boon for local peoples, as the only way that um, you know, local communities will ever develop because it brings in massive influx of, of uh, capital, for example. Um, and therefore, without dams, without this form of destructive development, we will not see development. Well, this, uh, in, the, in the Amazon, well, this is, of course, a fallacy because it does not leave behind uh, a form of development that people in the Amazon need, particular indigenous and traditional communities, um, who are excluded from the planning process um, largely because of a little time-worn racist approach to dealing with forest people, uh, that they are an impediment to so-called development, um, that their true involvement, which is of course legally mandated in Brazil's constitution mm -hmm. and also um, part of Convention 169 of the International Labor Organization to which Brazil is a party, that to truly involve indigenous people, they must be consulted about projects and they must be consulted in their native languages, in their communities. Well, to do this, of course, is costly and time consuming and mm -hmm. this is not what project planners want to deal with when they're moving forward uh, on a major development project, uh, so-called development project that um, they'd like to see built as quickly as possible, they'd like to have licensed by the government as quickly as possible. Um, therefore, you know, indigenous people and their very justifiable needs are seen as an impediment, as a roadblock to, to projects of this kind. And uh, for that reason, you know, local communities and their needs are very rarely, if ever, considered um, in the planning of, of large Amazon dams or small Amazon dams. Um, any sort of these projects really do not take into account the needs of these communities. Um, at best, uh, they'll be informed of impacts. Um, as the dam move, moves forward, they will not be consulted before the, the dam is, is uh, designed, which is what they are entitled to, um, which is called free prior and informed consultation and consent. Um, and uh, generally, what the government will do is uh, mitigate impacts, um, which simply is, is uh, not enough when you destroy a person's way of life, their land, their river, their economic activities. There's nothing you can do to mitigate this. There's no way you can offset this. Mm. Um, so cash handouts, food handouts um, often do far more harm than good. And of course, 
end result is, is that they haven't been consulted or they have not been involved and they've really lost fundamental um, building blocks underpin their, their way of life. So the phrase dynamiting heaven, um, it's one that has been used very frequently in reference to the impact of damming on those who live in the Amazon. So what impact exactly does dam construction have on the cosmology of indigenous people who live there? So on the Xingu, um, there's a region called the Big Bend, and this is where uh, Belomochi was built. And the Big Bend, also known as Voltecadenzi, it's called in Portuguese, is considered by many of the indigenous peoples um, that live up and down, 25,000 of people live up and down. Xingu is sort of the cradle of their civilization. So its destruction, of course, strikes to the heart of these people's cosmology, their belief in their civilization and their past where their ancestors live and come from. And the same uh, the same applies, the same issue applies to a dam that was built on the Tendispiris River, which is in the Tapajos River Basin, um, just to the east of the Shingu River Basin where um, a waterfall called Pechiquedas, or Seven Falls, uh, were dynamited and flooded to build the Telispiris Dam. The Pechiquedas waterfall is considered by three indigenous peoples, the Munduruku, Piaca, and Kayabi peoples, to be where God lived. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is an equivalent to essentially dynamiting the Vatican. We need, we need to see the destruction of Sechiketa's waterfall and its incredibly central importance to the cosmology of peoples who live in that region as equivalent to the destruction of holy sites uh, for some of the dominant religions on our planet. Um, you know, this has been cited by some of these local peoples as having brought sickness to their communities. The exhumation of funerary urns of the Munduruku people and the construction of this dam, and without any attempt to dialogue with the Munduruku people, um, is of course a huge uh, affront, a huge um, attack upon you know, the real basis of, of religious belief of the Munduruku. They believe that their that their uh, people, their, their ancestors, have been uh, disrupted. That their their spirits uh, are therefore haunting them. Um, <laughs> this is all, of course, taking place without any attempt to engage these people, and therefore uh, the notion that heaven has been dynamited is truly apt. The, the, that statement is truly apt in the context of, of these projects. Yes, absolutely. So when it comes to, obviously, like raising the salience of this issue of disruption and disrupting these narratives, what strategies do does the Amazon Watch employ in order to ensure the visibility of indigenous concerns on the international stage? Well, Amazon Watch works um, across a variety of platforms. One of the most, our most effective forms of, of raising awareness um, and really amplifying the voices of our partners on the ground is to work through um, really robust communication. We are often considered a communications organization, which is not exclusively what we do, but it is something we do very well, I believe. Um, getting the word out, we're speaking with 
um, media from various different outlets um, can bring a, you know, massive attention to the work of indigenous communities to resist, to defend their territories, to uh, stop or improve projects, um, to that are make them more in line with their ability to survive. Um, this is very important that we are able to raise awareness by way of communications um, because by, through this way we are able to one, speak to consumers, speak to companies that are involved, speak to government uh, official decision makers. Therefore, um, communications is, is a really important tool um, that is used to, to create leverage and, and make change. But uh, another way that we, we work with our indigenous partners is to help them come to international fora, uh, for example, uh, United Nations events and other summits of this kind, but also to the boardrooms of companies that are making decisions that affect them adversely. Um, in the case of dams, uh, we brought leaders to a variety of different um, fora around the world, uh, to the boardroom to say uh, Siemens Corporation in Germany to talk about Siemens' role in selling turbines to Brazilian dam builders, uh, without which these dams would not be viable, without these technologies, incredibly important. And speaking to, to shareholders of these companies uh, about the reputational risk they are running by being involved in these disastrous projects. Um, that's another leverage point that we, we help uh, our indigenous partners access. Um, by way of our expertise in working with shareholders um, and, uh, and responsible um, fund managers. So there's a couple of strategies there. We also release reports. This could be considered a, a uh, sort of a communications component, but it digs a bit deeper, um, looking at really the, the true impacts of these forms of development. Uh, and we network. Um, we network with a variety of organizations around the world because we're a small organization. Therefore, the work we do is really only viable if it's done uh, in concert with a number of other actors, be them indigenous partners, be them um, large and small NGOs, be them specialists in, in respective fields. Uh, we, therefore, can act as a catalyst organization to, to bring about uh, the sort of change we need to see uh, to move away from these destructive projects and towards something more just. Great, thank you. And so a, a number of government officials have made claims that hydropower is this clean source of energy that helps fight climate change. And since the Amazon is this rain rich, is a rain rich region, that hydro dams would provide this steady source of electricity as opposed to wind and solar energy, which are often intermittent. How do you respond to these sorts of claims about the economic attractiveness and appeal of dams? Well, there's an interesting way of, of looking at dams in, in today's context. Um, large dams are a 19th century solution to a 21st century problem. Uh, destroying rivers and communities that depend on them is not necessary for us to meet our energy needs. Um, for one, in a place like the Amazon, which is experiencing climate change on a large scale, therefore rainfall patterns are becoming much more variable and a lot less reliable than they once were, um, dams themselves are intermittent forms of energy. They no longer can rely on a steady, a steady flow 
of rain to fill reservoirs and power uh, their, their turbines. Um, and they themselves drive climate change, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, therefore, it's a kind of a negative feedback loop here where dams are simply not going to be viable moving forward in, in the Amazon, especially um, if they're being built with, with smaller reservoirs, which is the case of, of Belomonchi, relatively smaller reservoirs, um, which is considered a, a technical uh, achievement, but in fact doesn't necessarily reduce the amount of area devastated by the dam. Um, in any case, if they're not storing a lot of water, they're not going to be able to be necessarily viable within the context of climate change. Um, and also really over-reliance on hydro and hydropower, which unfortunately Brazil is one of the countries that is over-reliant on hydropower, is not a solution. Hydro needs to be part of a mix. Um, it needs to be supplemented by truly clean energy solutions like solar and wind, energy efficiency measures, but um, really the notion that more large dams are needed to feed Brazil um, energy matrix and that of other countries, and consequently, is a fallacy. And this brings us to the question of, of cost. Uh, there was an Oxford study released in 2014 that was quite influential that showed how around the world large dams are extremely expensive, um, have routinely cost overruns that sometimes double their initial budget. Um, they, they essentially, uh, the, the cost of these dams are too high to yield a positive return. Therefore, dams don't just destroy the environment and impoverish local communities, they also don't make economic sense. Mm -hmm. And what this brings us to is really, what is the rationale? Dam planners may understand this, they may understand that um, one, you know, when you say a dam is going to cost uh, $5 billion, like one of these layer dams is actually going to cost $10 million. Well, what is the rationale? Um, if this is a routine overrun. This is a, um, something that can be pointed to time and time again. Well, in the case of Belomonchi, what drove this project was corruption. And what drives many other large infrastructure projects of this kind is corruption not economic need, not a need for energy. It's a need to line the pockets of campaign donors, of large corporations, to transfer wealth from the public coffers into the hands of a few private corporations. And that, Belomochi is a shining example of that, but there are many other cases of this kind. Um, therefore, the, question, the, the case that this is somehow uh, a solution to energy needs is a fallacy, uh, as is the case that this is somehow economically viable. Yeah. And so in regards to uh, the announcement earlier this year about the end to this mega dam building policy in Brazil, um, it, it landed a little confusing considering the fact that the dam is under construction. And as you've mentioned before, it's hard to mitigate harm that has already happened. Um, but while this feels like sort of a significant stride, what do you believe is necessary beyond this to combat the trend of corrosion and extraction in the Amazon? Well, first of all, Belomotion has been under construction since 2012, and there's been a number of, of setbacks uh, to its timeline. Um, so the announcement was made with the full understanding that this project was nearing completion. Um, it wasn't actually initiated after uh, the announcement was made. It's been a long time coming. It's a massive, massive project. Um, really, truly uh, pharaonic project, um, mm -hmm. the 
look in the Amazon. But you know, given the track record of, of the ministry and minds of that energy in Brazil, not a credible institution when it comes to these sorts of statements. Um, there were two officials from the Ministry of Mines Energy who made these statements, um, but we need to weigh these these sorts of declarations um, with a, a big grain of salt because we've heard similar statements in the past, similar claims about uh, the needs to balance development with need local communities, etc. A lot of spin can can be really taken um, from from what these. these essentially what comes out of these words. Um, so the, the credibility and sincerity of these actors needs to be questioned, in particular uh, because right now the Brazilian government is reassessing the possibility of building its next mega dam on the Tapajós River, which is a dam called São Luís do Tapajós, which was archived in 2016 in what appeared to be a move by the government away from large dams. You would think the statement that came out earlier this year about large dams no, no longer being um, something that the, the government will pursue would be in line with the archiving of San Luis Tapajos in 2016. Uh, however, we have reports that the environmental impact assessment for this project is being rewritten, that is being uh, essentially assessed for its viability, technical, financial, um, and could very much move forward as it was initially designed um, under different political circumstances. Um, the statement that was made about limiting uh, or, or stopping new projects of, of you know, the sort that Belomoshi is comes out of a political reality and especially a financial reality in which Brazil encounters itself. Um, having just passed through its worst recession in history doesn't necessarily have a lot of public money to direct to these mega projects, which, as I mentioned, are enormously expensive. But if we find uh, private actors, in particular foreign actors, um, be them, well, especially from big dam building company, uh, countries like China, who, who would like to invest in projects of this kind, I don't see why the Brazilian government wouldn't produce, would it continue to pursue this disastrous policy of dam building uh, in the Amazon, despite what a couple of its uh, Ministry of Mines and Energy um, leaders said earlier this year. Um, so, going and speaking to your question about uh, combating the trend of corrosion and extraction, uh, truly, what we're seeing in the Amazon is not unique. It's something we're seeing around the world. We're seeing a race to extract resources from the most remote and the most difficult, you know, to reach, and also the, sometimes the most problematic part of the planet. Um, the Amazon is not alone. If we look at uh, some of the pipelines being built in the United States, some of the areas that fossil fuel industry is going to extract oil, uh, attempting to extract oil, um, it's similar in a sense to this race to destroy the last places on the planet for short-term gain. Uh, and we need to see, therefore, what's happening in the Amazon, be it in the Western Amazon, be it in Brazil, as part of a larger assault on the environment that really has um, the environment and its peoples, of course, us included, um, but in particular those who are in remote regions, those who are defending their territories from this, this destruction, indigenous peoples and traditional peoples principally, um, that we need to see this, this movement as something that is united around the planet to essentially destroy these last places um, to to benefit a handful of people uh, to our collective detriment. Um, 
Therefore, to combat this, we need to combat it on all levels. We need to push back and say this is not the future we want or need. Um, we don't need uh, to extract energy from the from the Amazon this way, nor do we need to extract it, say, from the tar sands region in Canada or the Arctic uh, or from offshore rigs. Um, so it's it's part of a larger narrative we need to be pushing as a society. Amazon Watch is, of course, only just part. It's all part of, of a movement to, to stop this insane push, um, which really imperils us in our climate. In our, in our planet um, at a, a very difficult moment. Yeah. So we've discussed the problem, we've discussed the cost, and we've discussed some of the work that Amazon Watch is doing to address it. Um, with all of that being shared, and just to wrap up, I'd want to ask, what is the moral vision that Amazon Watch is ultimately working toward? Well, our moral vision... Um, it's often formed by our partners. Of course, we have our beliefs for bringing to this work. Our beliefs are geared towards justice, towards environmental balance, um, and towards you know, essential equity for, for people, not just in the North, but in the South. Um, we, we would like to see uh, respect uh, for some of the for people who have traditionally been set aside, people who have experienced genocide, um, and allow them to live uh, in peace uh, and in balance with their environments as they see fit. Um, and in doing so, um, this we, we understand this benefits all of us. The preservation of the Amazon rainforest is essential to humanity, to our ability to continue our civilization um, and not be faced with increasing climate chaos. Um, so our vision is essentially to defend human rights, to defend the environment, to support the work of our partners on the ground, to win the battles that they are waging to defend their territories, but also to bring this to, to home. This is not just a distant struggle happening in half a world away. This is something that affects us. Uh, this is something that we ourselves are driving, sometimes un unwittingly or unknowingly. Um, and we need to be aware, and we have, therefore, a role to play in finding solutions. Uh, sometimes this involves um, supporting organizations like Amazon Watch to do our work. Sometimes it involves directly supporting groups on the ground. Um, but the work we are doing is something that we see as a gift to us that we need to forward, we need to amplify, because without it, we simply would not be able to continue living on this planet. Yes. Thank you so much, Christian, for your time and your responses and um, your passion for this work. Um, I really appreciate uh, you carving out the space to speak with the review. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cornell Policy Review podcast. If you are interested in receiving notifications for future podcasts and articles, please subscribe to our mailing list on the CPR website. You can also find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter.